Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Digital Switch. Today I am actually writing solo because my co-host Navid is out, but I am excited to have some conversations that he can join into um, maybe in our next episode. So in the past couple weeks, we've had a lot of guests on this podcast, specifically discussing various regulations in the financial industry. And today we are actually continuing on that topic with another expert, Mike Radocchio who is Piernova's Director of Customer Success. So Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Sonia, it's, uh, it's good to be on today. So Mike, I figure we will just jump right in on the topic of regulatory compliance. The list of initiatives that firms have tackled over the past decade since the financial crisis is really vast and complex. And the more I've been researching and talking to other individuals in the space, the more I'm realizing how much really goes on. We had a conversation with Harpal last week about BCBS 239, which included risk data aggregation. We also sat down and talked with Ragu, who walked us through capital requirements and stress testing in CCAR. And then on our resources section, we have written numerous articles about settlement efficiency through CSDR and a bunch of other transactional reporting requirements. That was a mouthful, but today we are actually focusing on MIFID II, which is the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive. So Mike, it would be really great if you could introduce our listeners to this particular regulation and tell us more about it. Sure, that sounds great. Um, I am gonna take a quick step back though, Sonia, because the regulatory landscape is, it's really wide and can be pretty confusing at times. Um, so let me just level set. So across the banking landscape, there really are a number of different jurisdictions, uh, many of which have different uh, regulatory bodies overseeing different aspects of these markets. So for instance, in the United States, you have depository regulators such as the Fed, the OCC, the FDIC, um, and, and, but we also have market regulators such as the SEC for securities. And we have the CFTC, or the Commodity Futures Trading Commission for listed and OTC derivatives. In Europe, you have the Bank of England and you have the ECB on the depository side and uh, the UK Financial Conduct Authority and the European Securities Markets Authority or ESMA on the security side. So it's really an alphabet soup of regulators even before you deep dive what each of those bodies is trying to actually regulate. So it's pretty complicated out there. So I would say to understand these regulations, you really have to go back um, to the financial crisis in 08. So OTC derivatives were not highly regulated at the time and regulators and market participants had trouble valuing these positions and, and markets froze up, became a liquid. Um, regulators wanted much greater visibility of transactions very specifically in the derivative space. Uh, the futures model of centralized uh, counterparty risk management worked pretty well as opposed to some of the other uh, issues that they had in the bilateral OTC trading and settlement markets. Uh, so we really find ourselves in 2009 at the G20 meeting in Pittsburgh. Global regulators agreed on a couple of main points. Uh, one, OTC transactions should be centrally cleared via CCPs. And secondly, derivative trades should be uh, reported, uh, both pricing information uh, for price transparency uh, and full transaction details so the regulators had a, a record uh, of uh, each transaction as it was coming in. So that legislation uh, that came out of Pittsburgh uh, really from a, from a U.S. perspective became what's known as the Dodd-Frank Act, which I'm sure everybody's aware of, um, and it became a mirror in, uh, in Europe. 
So throughout the early 2010s, you had a flurry of activity, which began to comply with the, the various new requirements for, for these uh, legislative acts. Now, interestingly enough, we get to MIFID, which was actually predates the 2008 crisis. So it was created in 04 and came into effect in 2007. And it was primary, primarily equities folks at the time, but very quickly, uh, European regulators realized it wasn't strong enough. Uh, so the revised MIFID and its regulation uh, counterpart uh, MIFIR, um, and that came to pass in 2014. Collectively, they're kind of known uh, collectively as uh, MIFID II. They're really a wholesale uh, replacement of the original MIFID uh, directive, uh, and they went to effect in early January 2018. So really, it just expanded the scope of uh, what was included in the original uh, directive. So derivatives, FX, commodities, ETFs are all now included. Uh, OTFs or organized trading facilities were added to the execution side for non-equity products. Um, a number of items were addressed in this regulation. I'm not going to try to cover them all. Um, but from a specifically a regulatory reporting perspective, I would say both trade and transaction rules were enacted. So firms now had to publish trade price information to regulators with an option to submit through uh, a new entity, which was called an APA or approved publication arrangement. Um, again, this was for price transparency um, and that information is shared in real time uh, or near time, I should say. Separately, uh, all transactions, again, with a number of specific fields and details were required to be submitted um, and firms have the choice to choose an ARM or what's called an approved uh, reporting mechanism. Uh, to achieve that outcome. So, and those are due uh, end of day T1. Uh, so that in a nutshell uh, sort of covers uh, sort of the history of how we got to uh, the MIFID II uh, directive and a little bit about uh, what's in the uh, the actual directive and regulation. I know that's a mouthful, Sonia. <laughs> no, this, this is a really great overview. I think it's it's great to let our listeners know who may not be super familiar about the regulatory landscape to give them a really broad overview. So I want to talk about challenges. Firms face a lot of challenges, a variety of challenges with accurate and efficient regulatory reporting, especially when it comes to this MIFID reporting. So would you mind just elaborating and really deep diving into some of these key challenges? Yeah. And I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, is data quality. Uh, I think firms have really been struggling with poor data quality as a result of very complex internal ecosystem of applications and, and data stores. Uh, you're seeing this play out in, uh, in Europe where the FCA has levied some massive fines against uh, some banks uh, for transaction reporting errors from the MIFID, uh, original MIFID one days. Um, these errors were in the hundreds of millions over a 10-year look-back period, which is uh, just astounding to me. And I think the root cause here is that data typically exists in silos across the bank and the end-to-end -end workflow knowledge is really hard to come by. Knowledge resides with individuals who are you know, experts in certain applications or certain parts of the workflow, say the client allocation process or security settlement process. Um, but people working in these individual spaces usually don't have uh, the knowledge of the details of what's happening in, happening in other parts of the workflow. So that lack of end-to-end -end lineage on, on the actual data itself is, is a big problem. I think secondly, clearly with all regulation, uh, there's a challenge in just the sheer amount of change, the number of new data fields, 
in, in the case of regulatory reporting that needs to be added to a number of systems across these workflows, again, spanning multiple asset classes. Sometimes that data just doesn't exist. You have to spin up new processes and everything's got to be documented from a data governance perspective, which takes time as that's usually a, a completely manual process. And I think finally, uh, a really key challenge is timing. Uh, it's a really big issue. You're constantly chasing your reg lawyers, looking for the latest guidance and praying to the compliance gods that no action relief letters will save you as you run into these really tight timelines. Um, and I've been I've been there myself uh, in the past. Compliance costs are are very high for this. They're generally viewed as non-value add to the firms and and take away time, energy, and focus from other bottom line focus projects. So recently, you actually wrote a really great article um, on our resources section about how financial institutions can use effective data governance to meet these evolving regulatory requirements, like MIFID. And I wanted to share what I took away from it. It was three things. Um, data governance, with data governance, firms have a better grasp on their ability to meet these rapidly changing regulatory requirements. And they have uh, the ability to ensure data quality throughout the pipeline, which leads to better error resolution. And lastly, they can address any weaknesses to really avoid these penalties and letters that you were talking about. So this ultimately leads to the better business decisions um, but can you elaborate a bit more maybe on each of these things that I took away and then also kind of what you feel about effective data governance? Yeah, I think those are, are exactly right, Sonia. I think those are uh, three very key takeaways. Uh, and, I, and I think the, the way to describe this at a, a higher level, I think, uh, is that any effective data governance model really has to be built on a solid foundation uh, and a solid data framework. In my mind, the, the keys to being able to solve not just the reg reporting aspect of, of MIFID II, uh, but any sort of big rock facing uh, financial institutions today is having persistent firm-wide data quality, end-to-end -end workflow transparency, and being able to measure the health of your business workflows. So again, whether that's MIFID reporting, uh, stress testing, CSDR compliance, uh, it's those foundational principles that are really absolutely key to success. Um, and I would say specifically with uh, regulatory uh, requirements, uh, you need to present the authorities with accurate data to avoid fines. There's, there's no question. Um, and we've seen that propensity of uh, certain regulatory bodies to, to really come you know, with, with some high numbers uh, at specific banks. Um, so where there are issues with data quality, firms need that ability to very quickly identify root causes and just as quickly bring them to resolution. Um, so this can be done via live data lineages to, to trace reports back to their origin systems across the numerous hops in a workflow. Uh, don't forget a lot of these workflows across, uh, you know, within an asset class span, you know, 20, 30, 50 systems. Um, uh, so they can be very, very uh, comprehensive. Um, and I think finally, firms really need to be able to measure their performance. It's, it's just really hard to meet compliance goals and timelines in general. But I think that becomes easier when firms can accurately measure and quantify the weak spots in their workflow, be it late client allocations or poor settlement instruction matching rates. So it's that knowledge uh, that essentially provides the evidence for further direct investment, digital transformation, or even client pricing negotiations, uh, which all end up uh, improving the, the firm's bottom line. 
So at PeerNova, we've really established that the most effective approach to regulatory compliance and risk management is through our platform, the Cuneiform platform. Um, it is an active data governance tool. And what does that mean? It means it ensures that firms can really meet regulatory requirements through improved data quality, which I know you talked about is a huge part of this, and also workflow transparency in both a timely and cost-effective manner. So if you wouldn't mind talking more about Cuneiform and how our platform can really help enterprises comply with regulators, um, specifically MIFID, and what really differentiates it from other products out there. Yeah, sure. So Cuneiform really brings uh, a number of differentiating features to the market to specifically address uh, MIFID II reporting and really other regulatory reporting initiatives. Uh, again, the foundational layers, I believe, are, are so important to building the right capabilities to address these issues. And while I would say we're two years on from the compliance date for MIFID II, a lot of implementations uh, were tactical, uh, have been costly, and are sometimes error prone. So I do think it's the right time to assess where firms uh, are currently and how they can ramp up a more strategic solution to shore up the, those foundational capabilities. Um, but specifically with uh, Cuneiform, uh, we're able to enable uh, these end-to-end -end data quality through our rules engine uh, running perpetually on live data. Um, and this is done at the attribute level, allowing for very detailed and fine-grained analysis and quick root cause identification of any issues. So you'd be able to very quickly see that uh, an OTF is omitting, uh, you know, certain swap data uh, like Stubbs information that may be causing, you know, an NPV difference uh, on what you would have in your internal books and records, for example. So you can see it quicker and react to it faster, uh, which is, you know, a huge a huge part of the game. We also provide active end-to-end -end lineages, and again, this is on the live data itself as it's streamed into the platform, as, as opposed to just linking to together the metadata, right? So it's real data, it's real records uh, with real issues linked to them. Uh, and, and that's such a key point, I think, because it's the combination of the, the attribute level uh, data quality rules with pinpointing the exact spot in the workflow or things have gone sideways, that's critical to reducing that time to resolution, uh, which saves dollars, right? It reduces fines. Uh, it leads to higher operational efficiency. Uh, it leads to more focus on value drivers that will result in a, in a larger client base and a bigger market share. Um, so the more you trust that data, and frankly, the more, I would say, thorough the reporting process that can be shown to auditors and, and regulators, uh, the better off you know, folks are going to be. I would say a third point here is that as folks use Cuneiform, the platform is able to auto-generate the typical uh, sort of data dictionaries, the glossaries, the catalogs uh, that are typically manually entered uh, in, a, in a separate place, be it a, a tool or a, or a spreadsheet even. Uh, but because those features are combined in, in the same platform here, uh, there's no drift and there's no risk of these data artifacts becoming stale because they're currently being used by the data that's streaming in through the system. Okay. So this is one of those foundational pieces that I spoke of before um, and having all those uh, sort of rule repositories in one place instead of scattered across the bank, which is typically the case, uh, I think makes for uh, much cleaner data stewardship. Uh, so it just makes things easier on folks. Uh, Finally, I would say uh, we also integrate uh, with existing tools and applications 
uh, to allow for quicker and more flexible implementations. And I think that flexibility is hugely important when dealing with um, anything in the regulatory space uh, or guidance on those, because those guidance on, on regs are constantly changing. Um, I remember, you know, in the period of 2011, 2012, dealing with some of the fallout from the Dodd-Frank Act and the CFTC rulemaking, uh, those uh, changes in the, the interpretive guidance seem to be changing by the hour sometimes. So, so things really do move fast in that space. Um, but whether it's internal or, or external apps, whether it's workflow or communication tools, uh, or even clients or, or counterparties, you know, we enable quick and seamless integration and interoperability with the stakeholders in the marketplace. Um, if, for instance, you use a workflow tool and, and communicate the resolution uh, for a specific issue outside of your actual trade workflow, uh, Cuneiform can actually ingest that data, pull it right back into the actual lineages, um, and that closes the loop uh, on any exceptions. You have all the data that's been involved in a particular transaction from front, from order generation, all the way through uh, lifecycle changes uh, and, and security settlement or you know, instrument settlement. Um, and you have the record of anything that went wrong in addition to the resolution steps to uh, resolve those particular issues, which is extremely valuable to have in one place, right? And that further just adds to the actual confidence level that firms will have uh, when dealing with the regulatory reporting regime. If I unpack this episode, I think our listeners can really take away that regulatory compliance is only getting more stringent. And what we found is that active data governance is really the only answer for enterprises meeting these regulatory requirements. Without having an effective strategy in place, it's going to be extremely difficult for firms to really stay compliant, reduce their risk, increase you know, their operational efficiency, and ultimately grow as a business. So I strongly urge our listeners to go read, um, Mike, your supplemental article on this topic. We actually have a handful of them that cover these various regulations we talked about um, with additional insights and resources. So this is a really great conversation. Mike, thank you again so much for taking the time to sit down with us. Thanks for having me, Sonia. Appreciate it. All right, everyone, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Digital Switch. You can find us on your favorite podcast streaming service or on digitalswitch.show. Stay up to date on podcast episodes, blog posts, and all things Pure Nova at purenova.com and at Pure Nova Inc. on Twitter. Have a great week.